So for the next few weeks, uh, we're focused on John chapter 6, which is also what last week was about. Um, And Jesus says in John 6, I am the bread of life. And the use of the I am statement is one of the main ways that Jesus reveals himself in the Gospel of John. Jesus deliberately uses these I am statements to make direct connection with the divine nature of who God is in the Old Testament when God identified himself as I am who I am back in Exodus 3. And God said that that would be, God, that would be God's name forever through all the generations. So by using the I am statements, Jesus is revealing himself in John chapter 6 to the people as the one that now God is finally visible and makes himself known through Jesus Christ. Now, often throughout the gospel, including the passage for today, the I am then is followed by a very common symbol. I am the shepherd. I am, in today's case, the bread. Bread is very, very common. And Jesus knew that these really common examples used in biblical times would speak to the people and they would get it right away and understand it. And so today, we're focusing on I am the bread of life. And John chapter 6 is the, one of the longest chapters in the New Testament. I want you to turn there as we read some of it. Um, but there's a whole lot that happens. You have the miraculous feeding, and then Jesus walks on water, and then Jesus reveals himself as the bread of life, and there's more in between those. And for the sake of time, I'm going to read some verses from this chapter, and I want you to, my, your assignment this week is to go back and read the entirety of John chapter 6 in a devotional way this week because it'll lift new things out for you and we're going to do some creative things next Sunday with John chapter 6 and so you'll see it in a new new light if you read it every single day this week. Um, the, I'm going to pick and start with, uh, the, for the reading today, the feeding of the 5,000. And so if you're in John 6, I'm going to start with verse 11. And you can follow along in your Bible or on the screen. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Oh, surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And so the next part I'm going to skip over, that's the Jesus walking on water. Very well known. One of the most important things as you kind of breeze through that paragraph to note is that um, the large crowd keeps following Jesus again in uh, verses 16 when they, and then Um, The day after the miraculous feeding and the night where he walks on water, um, you see that that they get in the boats and they search for Jesus. And I want to enter the story again at verse 25. So I'll begin reading verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. 
Then they asked him, well, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give and that we may see it and believe in you? What, do you, what will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Well, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, you are the great I am. And I pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts and minds this morning so that we could hear your word for us today. It's in your most holy name that we pray. Amen. When I was a little girl, one of the favorite games to play in our household growing up was hide-and-seek. Now, I've realized as I prepared for today, I don't play that with my own kids as much as we used to play it when I was little. However, uh, when we lived uh, back in Ceresco, my kids were maybe one and four, we would play hide-and-seek sometimes after school and we're waiting for Ben to come home from work, and they would hide, but I would still, as a grown adult, get the same thrill that I had from when I was a little kid. Now, when your kids are one and four years old, the rules for hide-and-seek are pretty relaxed. The seeker may not count all the way to 20 before they run and find you. The hiders sometimes make some noise to help the seeker find them, or sometimes they hide in a visit, they take the blanket and pull it over them, and they think they're hiding, but you all know who's under the lump, under the blanket. They think they're hiding as long as they can't see you. And one of the things that's most certain in a warm afternoon uh, while we're waiting for Daddy to get home is that when you have a house full of girls, there's a lot of shrieking and squealing upon being found or finding someone that you're looking for. In a way, there's a game of hide-and-seek happening in John's Gospel today. You could even call John's gospel the seeker's gospel. Throughout John's account, there are people asked seeking out Jesus over and over again in an effort to understand him. The question of Jesus' identity, who he is, where he came from, this is a central theme of the book of John. It's true for John chapter 6 as well. There's an inquiring crowd who's following Jesus around everywhere. They first find him when he had retreated to the mountains with his disciples. And when Jesus was there, he looked up and he saw this large group of people coming towards him. And even worse, he sensed that they were very hungry. Can you imagine a crowd of 5,000 hungry people expectantly approaching you? If you look around this sanctuary, and I am terrible with numbers, so I could totally miss this, but how many people do you think this room holds? 200? It's my guess, maybe. If it were full, it'd be 200. Imagine our sanctuary full times 25. That's a lot of hungry mouths to feed. And one thing that I've learned over the years is that 
hungry stomachs and a happy attitude rarely go together. And there's a reason we try to end our worship service with food after in the parlor, or we try to end before it's time for lunch. I don't want a mob of hungry people by the end of this worship service. Jesus was smart enough to anticipate the crowd's needs, so he now becomes the host of their meal. He miraculously turns that little boy's five loaves of barley bread and two fish into a feast for a crowd of thousands. And the text doesn't say that everyone gets barely enough. It says they got as much as they wanted until they were completely satisfied. And then even more miraculously, John tells us there were leftovers, enough to fill 12 baskets. The people are so full and so happy that they're now ready to make Jesus their king. But he knew that they wanted to do this for the wrong reasons, and so Jesus quickly withdraws himself again to the mountainside to be alone. And then later, that dark and windy evening, he walks on the water, calms the rough seas so that he can then join his disciples who are already rowing their boat to the other side. And so when Jesus doesn't automatically appear to the crowd in the same spot on the very next day, what does the crowd do? Once again, they set out to go find him. And this time they go by boat to seek him on the other side of the lake. This crowd to me seems a little bit like a primitive paparazzi. It appears they'll travel in any shape, any form, any manner to find Jesus and question him like reporters would do. I imagine that Christ found this both endearing and probably a little bit irritating as well. When the crowd catches up with Jesus, they pelt him with questions, first wanting to know when he had arrived on the other side of the sea, and in typical Jesus fashion, he doesn't answer them directly. Instead, he chastised them for looking for him only because they want to be fed again. He says in verse 27, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So then they're asking what they must do. And Jesus answers them that they must believe in the one whom God sent. To which they say, but what sign are you going to give us so that we can see it and believe in you? At this point, I'm going to guess that Jesus is pretty frustrated. They are, there's a lack of comprehension going on with this crowd of people. I mean, he'd just given them the sign the day before with the feeding of 5,000. What more do they need to see just one day later? Are they truly hungry, or do they just want another exciting experience or of a miracle? Regardless of what these people are seeking, they failed to see who was right in front of them. Jesus tried to drive this point home by proclaiming, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Sadly, there's many people in this crowd who did not comprehend. And at this point, it's kind of like their ancestors back in the book of Exodus. They start to complain and they grumble. Perhaps they really truly were physically hungry and they desired more food. Or maybe they just wanted more great signs and miracles, but all this talk about spiritual bread is not what they wanted to hear. Much like today, we want the entertainment factor. We want instant gratification over and over again. Nothing is ever enough. And Jesus essentially puts his foot down and he says, no, that's not why my father sent me. 
You're chasing after the wrong things. Things that fill you, yes, but they will never fulfill you. What you seek is temporary, and what I offer is eternal. And there were many, if you look at verse 66, many, many people turned away from Jesus at this point. Now, living in today's time, we have the privilege of knowing how the story ends and plays out. So it's pretty easy for all of us to go and judge the crowd in John chapter 6. How could they have not known that this was the Messiah right in front of them? How could they have turned their backs on accepting the bread of life? But the truth is, these people's world was in turmoil, and they had no idea how the story was going to end. They couldn't comprehend that this man, in his flesh and his blood in front of them, was the Son of God. A change of heart was required, but they weren't ready to make it. Until they would be able to recognize who Jesus really was, they could be fed bread and fish all day long, but there would still be a very deep hunger inside of them that would never be satisfied. In a lot of ways, we're not that different today. We're a lot like the crowd in John chapter 6. We may know who Jesus is, we may comprehend what he means by the bread of life, but on a day-to-day basis, we're still seeking out manna that comes and goes. We're still feeding our desires. Society tells us we deserve whatever we want, and we eat that up. It doesn't take very long for us to realize that that kind of bread becomes stale quickly. It provides no long-term sustaining nourishment for us. Now, in this passage, John states two requirements so that we would never be thirsty or hungry. He said, come to him and believe in him. Verse 35, whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But so often, in lieu of coming to Jesus, we go to all the wrong places. Instead of believing in him, we believe other things in this world. And so we are, end up left spiritually malnourished, We are spiritually broken, and our lives become fragmented. I know my own life feels this way a lot. Just this week, I'm feeling pulled in multiple different directions. How am I possibly going to get my to-do list all done? I'll go from one thing to the next, and at the end of the day, when the kids are in bed, and the emails have been answered, and the dishwasher is loaded, I am so exhausted, I've got nothing left. And the worst part of this is that I go to bed... And I finally lie down, and what do I think about? I remember all the things that I still need to do. And I'm like thinking to myself and kind of talking to God, is this really what being a mom and a wife and a pastor and a friend and a homeowner amounts to? Is this all that I have left at the end of the day? Sometimes I feel so fragmented and frustrated and fatigued. And then I remember what Jesus, the bread of life, told the disciples after the feeding of the 5,000. Verse 12. He said, gather up the fragments so that nothing may be lost. Friends, if there is anyone, anyone in this world who can take the fragmented pieces of our lives and hold them together in a meaningful way, it's our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He gathers up our leftover fragments and makes them into a new creation. In doing my research for this sermon, I went to the trusted Google <laughs> to see if there were any articles on making something out of bread fragments. And I found an article, and the title is Some Ways to Use Fragments, from the Good Health magazine dated April 1885. It was written 133 years ago by Mrs. E.E. E. Kellogg, and it said not a crumb of good bread should ever be wasted. That there are few other articles of food that can be combined into more varied and palatable, palatable dishes than good bread. And then when it, when it went on to give recipes that use bread fragments to make cream toast, to make snowflake toast, I don't even know what snowflake toast is, to make apple dessert, fruit pudding, custard pudding, and it, you know what? It's true. Even the bread we use for communion today is going to be the leftovers, whatever we don't eat, will be turned into croutons by an anonymous person in our congregation. Nothing is wasted. I think this is a pretty great analogy to imagine how God might use the fragments in our lives and turn them into something amazing and unexpected. The pieces of our lives that we want to throw out, the ones that feel so broken, the pieces and the parts that fatigue us, the ones we are ashamed of, the parts that seem lost. Jesus said to the crowd, anyone who comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing, lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. Christ promises to gather the pieces together and make us whole. Now, as you know, our church has made a conscious effort this past year to engage more in refugee ministry within our community. Now, if there's a group of people whose lives feel fragmented, it's refugees who have been uprooted and then set down in a brand new environment. I think it was a couple months ago already where we heard from Dennis Carlson about the evidence of Christ's work toward wholeness in their, the family that they're working with. Lutheran Family Services, in conjunction with people from our congregation, provide a place for the refugee to live. And in the family's interactions with people from our church, that both sides are learning the value of commitment and responsibility and social skills across those cultures. And it's our job to believe in them and to love them and in the spirit of Christ, help them piece the fragments of their lives together so that they would know wholeness again. Jesus will piece our lives together too. He'll show us what we can do in him. So if you're tired of the fragmentation, if you're tired of the frustration and fatigue, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus tells us to come to him. And so I believe it's time for us to play that favorite game of hide and seek again. This time, we're seeking Christ. Did you notice in our passage how Jesus hid about as well as a one-year-old does? No matter where Jesus was, the crowd could always Find, easily find him. 
And this tells us that Jesus is readily available, often calling out to us in order to help us find him. And as Jesus often does, he goes and flips this script, and it was the crowd in our scripture passage who relentlessly sought out Jesus, but it's Christ who relentlessly seeks out the lost and the broken and the fragmented and offers each of us wholeness in the eternal bread of life.